Okay, the young man that has a scripture reading, come on down. And uh, we'll start with a, a scripture reading here, and then I'll uh, share a few things before we get into the lesson this morning. Come on down, Josh. Psalm 147 through 7. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of glorious wonder of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim the great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Morning, everybody. Uh, Go ahead and turn to uh, Nehemiah. That's where we're going to continue on today. And we've got some of us here and and some of us uh, meeting home online still and uh, Lord willing we're just we're all meeting in spirit whether we're meeting uh, physically or or um, or virtually or whatever we call that <laughs> going forward but uh, there's a it's like as I said we're going to go into Nehemiah chapter 7 here in just a minute but I want to share a few things before we get we get started here uh, first of all if you notice if you look down the um, the aisles we've 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 divided off every other row to try to get uh, some spacing in, in that in the auditorium, as, as the, the state has, has asked us. But you notice that the, uh, the dividers look a lot nicer today than they have the, the last few weeks. We don't have police tape up anymore. We've got some, some others. And uh, um, a lady named Michelle that's been participating, I don't see her here yet this morning, but she just said, hey, can I do this? That's something I can, I can a contribution I can make for, for this time period. And, and uh, she came into the building and set all this up, and so it looks really nice. And it's uh, beautiful to have these spiritual thoughts there, um, maybe instead of police caution tape. That has its, its place, but this is great to, to be able to have this this morning. Just a great example of someone looking and saying, hey, this is something... Small that I can do, a contribution that I can give, just to to make things great around here. Uh, Another announcement that was uh, that's uh, I'll I'll just mention here: the church here has supported uh, Pedro Sanchez and uh, and to some extent Paulo Sanchez as well, two Chileans that are ministers in their home country. And I wanted to share just uh, I got a message from. um, uh, from Ed Bass, who uh, has some connections with the family there as well, is that both Pedro and Paulo Sanchez are in the hospital with uh, with this COVID-19, and and uh, Paulo is seems to be re- that's the son. He's recovering pretty quickly, and Pedro's in rough shape. As of last night, he was in pretty rough shape. He's on a ventilator, and so that's someone uh, that the church here has a long history and connection with, and we can just continue to to offer up prayers uh, for him and. Uh, and just the ministry that he's a part of there. Uh, one more announcement before we jump in. Uh, on June 10th, and so 
not this Wednesday coming up, but the next Wednesday afterwards, we're going to, to meet here on Wednesday night like we usually do, or usually did on, uh, on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, and we're going to start into uh, figuring out what uh, assemblies look like as we, we come back together, uh, as we're going into phase two and phase three and, and into the summer and that. And so one of the things that the elders and deacons and myself, we met this morning, and we'd just like to ask you, and so you can be brainstorming and praying and thinking about it, because that Wednesday night on June 10th, our plan is to, to walk through with the congregation and say, hey, this is what we've typically done, or this is what our assemblies have looked like, and we just want to hear your input. We're not going to make any decisions. We just want to have a discussion of what is, how is, how is this uh, uh, online digital format, because that's been highly successful. We want to make sure that we, we integrate that into whatever going forward looks like. And so there's not an agenda here except to be faithful to God and to, to honor him with all, all we have. And so everybody's invited to, to rejoin us physically on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, and I'm sure we'll meet over here. Well, we'll see. I don't even know if that... But we'll, we'll meet here, and um, your thoughts and, and insights are, are welcome, and we'll, we'll see where we go as we, we pray together through the future. Remember, God's already there, and so we don't have to fear it. We just uh, can be excited to see uh, where, where God's going to lead us and how we, we go into the future. And so next Sunday uh, that we meet here will be like this, and then we'll see how uh, we, we ease back into uh, children's classes and, and all of that as we go forward. Does that sound like a plan? Awesome. Very good. And so, again, I can't say this enough, and, and maybe, maybe if I say this enough, then you guys get tired of hearing it and say, all right, Chris, you don't need to say that anymore, and, and that's fine. But with this crew... You guys have been such a joy, if I can use that word, to walk through this, uh, this quarantine and this, this COVID crisis because uh, we come from really different backgrounds. And I'll get to that here. Uh, this actually falls into what I'm going to talk about during the lesson. But what we've been able to do as a church is to put some of those things aside and say, whatever we believe or understand about this particular situation in our world right now, that's not the most important thing. What the most important thing is is coming together and in unity and, and uh, launching into the future uh, whatever plans and dreams God has for us. And uh, I've talked to, to many other ministers during this time and other church leaders, and, and others have had it much more difficult than us. And I think that is, is a great tribute to you guys just saying, hey, we're not afraid. We're courageous. We're going to go on to the future, and we're just going to see what that looks like, and it's going to be all right. And that's a, that's a great place for all of us to be. All right, so uh, J- June 10th, everybody's welcome to participate in that. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll just hear and listen and, uh, and share ideas as we go forward. All right, let's go to Nehemiah chapter 7. And you remember Nehemiah, uh, and part of the reason I chose this to uh preach through during this time is Nehemiah lives in a time where a lot of changes happen fast. And again, show of hands here, how many of you have had in the last couple of months pretty big changes happen in your life in some, some way or another? Okay, some of us haven't. You know, life hasn't changed that much. I know that the joke that I've been made is I feel I've been making is that I feel like I've become a televangelist and I've learned all sorts of new things on you know, had to deal with all those jokes of, of when am I going to get my jet and all that kind of stuff? But it's it's different, you know. It's different communicating with with a, a phone. You know, that I, they didn't teach me how to do that. And and I actually in the process 
called someone who I know is a news anchor and said, all right, you've got to throw me a bone here because I have no idea how to talk to a camera, and she's been, been helpful. But anyway, all of that is Nehemiah. Uh, we're, not, we're not the first people to go through big changes in life. Nehemiah is one of those. And you remember Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. And he had uh, just hurt his heart that his own people were living in poverty. The wall was destroyed in Jerusalem. And so he gets permission to make this thousand-mile journey, and he becomes the governor of the area where the Jews live around Jerusalem. And so as Nehemiah goes back there, he uh, finds that, that there's, there's kind of a mess. Well, kind of is not the right word. There's a big fat mess going on there in Jerusalem. The walls are destroyed. Houses are all over the place, haven't been rebuilt. And as we're going to find out today, there's not very, even very many people in the city. But what Nehemiah does is he gets all of these cats that are hurt, all going all sorts of different directions, and tries to herd them in a good direction, saying, hey, we can build this wall. We can do something. We can make this city wonderful and beautiful again. And let's see how we can uh, try to step out in faith and, and what God's going to do. And Nehemiah, we talked about, he had opposition from all sorts of different places. Last week, we talked about how his own people, the Jewish people, were enslaving each other and taking advantage of each other financially because of, of the difficult situations. And Nehemiah says, no more of that. And so there's been a lot happened just in, in a few months here. It says in, um, in chapter 6, verse 15, it says, So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. And so remember, they weren't starting a wall from scratch. They're just repairing it. There was rubble all over the place. And maybe it wasn't repaired great, but it was repaired in 52 days. So less than a month, there's been a lot of opposition. There's been a lot of change, and, and life is, has been shaken up for, for everybody there in Jerusalem. And so a short time afterwards, right, basically just as soon as this wall is finished, we're going to see what happens here. And I'll start reading in chapter 7, verse 4. It says, Now the city was large and spacious, but there were very few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical record of those who had been the first to return. And this is what I found. And I will not read through the rest of chapter 7. Okay, You're welcome to. Go home. It's a great exercise. There is some great names if you're having children that you can look at those Hebrew names and think, man, I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm going to name my kid that. You know, Those kind of things. There's a, there's a lot there. Uh, there's, but it's a list of, of these people that have moved back to the area there in, in Jerusalem and, and what they're, and, and the numbers and all of that. Okay, but there's a few things I want to note before we jump into the meat of what we're going to talk about. You notice he says, the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it. Now, think about, I've been to some, some small towns out in eastern Montana. There were towns that were bustling and vibrant at one point in time. And you walk down the main street of some of those towns, you see empty storefront, empty storefront, empty storefront. There's an auto parts store, empty storefront, empty storefront. You know what I'm talking about? And so that's the sort of thing that is happening there in Jerusalem, is, is the city is not vibrant. It's actually mostly empty. And so Nehemiah looks around and he says... So God put it on my heart to assemble the nobles and officials and the common people for registration by their families. And so Nehemiah is going to deal with this problem, but he just pitches the problem here. We're not going to see how he deals with it until 
chapter 11. And we'll come back to that in the future, okay? But I just want to note here that there's it's a real sparse situation here in the city. Okay, let's skip to chapter 8. And we're going to see someone that I introduced last week that is going to play a prominent role in this uh, particular situation that happens here. A guy named Ezra. Now, Ezra, years before had been someone who had, as Scripture says, if you read the book of Ezra, which is right before Nehemiah, it says that Ezra devoted himself to the study and teaching of the law. He was a priest, and he spent his time trying to understand the Word of God so that people could be what they needed to be. And Ezra was sent back by King Artaxerxes to say, hey, you need to go back because the temple has just been rebuilt. Now you need to go back and you need to teach the people how to worship this God in the temple. And so I'm going to finance your ministry and I'm going to send you back. And so Nehemiah, or excuse me, Ezra has been in the city for years before Nehemiah gets there. And so as soon as the wall is finished, or within a few days, this is what happens. They start gathering people to hear the word of the Lord. I'll start reading in chapter 8, verse 1. It says, When the seventh month came, and remember, the, the city, the wall is finished at the end of the sixth month. The Israelites had settled in their towns. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood at a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood, and it goes through a list of people there. Okay, I'm going to spare you. You can look at those. You can read them. But there's a a list of, of people that are up there. And I understand from my research this week, is that those people that are up there with him are not priests. They're people that are common people that are just community leaders, people that want to be part of the solution. And so Ezra is up there, and he is sharing the message of God with with some community leaders that are standing there with him. In verse 5 it says, Ezra opened the book, and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. And Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And it talks about some of the Levites here. And it says, They instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving it the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. So just imagine this situation. You have this square there in Jerusalem. And people are called from the villages around. And they come... And there's a platform that is built up above. And Ezra takes his little device and he starts scrolling through, right? We're looking at, when it talks about the law or talking about the teachings here, probably Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. And so several scrolls that are laid out there. And so Ezra gets up with other people standing there with him and he starts reading. The people stand up, and you can imagine this packed square. I'm sure they're at least six feet apart, right? Yeah, probably not. And so there they are in the square, and they're hearing the message of God. And we're going to look at their response here in just a minute. But it says that the Levites shared or interpreted the law for the people. And so probably what's happening here is Ezra is able to stand up 
in a place where the acoustics were good enough where he could read the law. And then the, the Levites were out among the people. And the Levites share, when Ezra would stop, say, what the point of this is, is practically this is what this means. And so the Levites are among the people sharing in small groups as they preach. And so the people are able to understand what is being shared here. And watch the response of the people. Starting in verse 9, it says, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This is holy. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Well, why would they be weeping? And just imagine where they've been here the last couple of months. They've had this governor come in that is one of their own that comes in with authority from the Persian king to say, we've got to put this city back together. And not only has he worked on putting the wall back together, but he has stuck his nose right into the, the moral issues that are heart of, of some of the dysfunction of the, the Jewish people that are living there in Jerusalem. He stuck his nose right in it. And so you imagine, Nehemiah is one of these people that some people love him, some people hate him. He's not real popular with some. But here he is, and he's up there with Ezra, standing off to the side and, and honoring God as, as the rest of the people are. And the people, can you imagine the emotions that they've gone through over the last while? Is some people have, as they've been working on the wall, it's put them in financial hardship and they've, they've got themselves into debt. And then Nehemiah comes along and says, no way, you may not take advantage of your brothers and sisters. So everything that you were in debt with was given back. Imagine how thankful you would be. Or if you were one of those that had, had gone around and said, hey, I'm going to take this person's land, I'm going to take this person's land, I'm going to charge interest here, man, I'm going to be set for life. And Nehemiah comes along and says, no, you need to give every bit of that back. I know that's profit for you, but you need to give it back right now because that was taken wrongly. And there's a lot of emotions here. And as the people stand up and they're listening to Ezra on this day, Read the law. And they're listening to this Levite over here explain the law. They're overcome by emotion. Some are mourning because they realize that the same things that their ancestors had done to bring them into slavery, they're doing some of those same things right now. It reminds me of, of in Acts chapter 2 when Peter gets up with the rest of the apostles and teaches. And it says that the people are cut to the heart. And those times when we're genuinely cut to the heart are the times where God can really work. Let's continue on reading there. It says in verse 10, it says, Nehemiah said, Go and, and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and some of those who have not, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. And so you get Ezra and Nehemiah, the others up there, saying, okay, you're grieving, that's good. And next week we'll get to some of the, the changes that happened because of the grieving that, ha that, that occurred here. But the Levites, Ezra and Nehemiah, say, don't grieve, not today. Today is not a day to grieve. Today is a day to celebrate, and we're going to... Fest, we're going to have a great festival and we're going to party because that's what's supposed to happen today.
reason why that is, and the seventh month is, is, uh, is noteworthy here, because the people start, they celebrate what is called the Feast of the Tabernacles. There were three major feasts that happened on the Jewish calendar that people were supposed to come back to Jerusalem or come to the tabernacle or, or whatever it was to, in order to, to connect with God. One of them was the Passover. And we're familiar with the Passover. That's when Jesus was executed during that time. Uh, he was, uh, it's a time where the Passover lamb would happen. Uh, it's, it's, it happens the same time of Easter on our calendar. Or you have, um, what's a, you know, after Passover, there's another festival. It is Pentecost is the next one after that. And that's when Peter and the apostles teach there. There's 3,000 are baptized. A lot of people come back. The third one is called the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, let's read about it. There's, it's, it's mentioned several times in the Old Law. But I'm going to read this here from Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. It says, Celebrate the Festival of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. Okay? So the Romans knew, just as a side note, the Romans knew that they were usually going to have more trouble during Passover, less trouble during Pentecost, and the least amount during the Feast of the Tabernacles. Because the Feast of the Tabernacles was a time where people had brought in all of their, their crops, happened late September, early October on our calendar. And so listen to what, what this, the description of this feast. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press. press. Be joyful at this festival, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites, the foreigners. This is a festival for everybody, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns. For seven days, celebrate the festival to the Lord your God, the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and all the work and all your hands and the work of your hands, and you and your joy will be complete. Man, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? That is a great festival to participate in. It continues on, it says, Three times a year all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, which is Pentecost, and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. And so we're gonna, what we see here is people start going around and they start giving to people who don't. They prepare food because some have a, an abundance and some don't have as much. And can you imagine the people, those people that have abundance, that have been giving up some of their abundance to give back wine presses, orchards, whatever had been taken wrongly. Can you imagine those same people being cut to the heart and saying, man, I've got, I still have a lot. And those people that I have wronged, I'm going to prepare food and I'm going to make sure that they have a great feast today (laughs) because I just need to do that. That's the right thing for me to do today. So let's go back to chapter 8 of Nehemiah. And I'll start reading in verse 13 and we'll see how this Feast of Tabernacles plays out here. On the second day of the month, the heads of the families, along with the priests and Levites, gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout the ta- their towns and in Jerusalem. Go into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees, and from the myrtles and palms and shade trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written. How many of you like to build forts as a kid? 
Oh, man, yep. How many of you like to still build forts? Yes. This is a festival that God is saying here in Scripture. Build a fort. That's what you're supposed to do. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, in the square by the water gate, and one uh, in the one uh, by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, that's a long time before this, until that day the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Their joy was very great. This is a festival that had lost its purpose over time. It was a festival that happened in the seventh month that imagine people over time had said, well, it's too hard to build those shelters. That's kind of a pain. Boy, seven days, yeah, I don't know about all that. That's kind of, yeah. And, and, and sometimes with festivals, what happens is we miss the meaning of them and they become a burden. And somewhere this had been a burden and it was never supposed to be a burden. This was a time where God said, stop working, get your, get your grain in, build forts, Live in them, because remember, we wandered around, and, and we were, didn't have houses a long time ago, and God brought us into the land that we live. And so this is a time that you're supposed to celebrate, live in forts, and just have a great time sharing meals for seven days. Man, that sounds good, doesn't it? And so as these people, as they've heard the message of Ezra being shared there, they have a ball. It's, I, I don't... And I hope it's not too irreverent to call this a state-sponsored camping trip. It's kind of what it sounds like, isn't it? I mean, building forts that you live in for several days and you share meals and you have a blast. This is maybe a version of Yellowstone Bible Camp, something like that, that people are called to do every year. Okay, if you, if you don't have some type of retreat that you participate in where you can, you can live in a different context and just share food and, and have a great time, here it is in Scripture. That's the point. That's what's supposed to happen here. And it says on verse, eight, verse 18, Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. And we'll talk about that assembly next week and what that looked like. But think about this. is These people have come from a place where they have had these emotional up and downs over the last while. They've had times where they have... Uh, had to, to give up much, they've had to sacrifice much, but they've accomplished much. And God has used them to be able to, to, and empowered them to be able to rebuild this wall. And as soon as they finish it, they go back celebrate this Feast of Tabernacles, and they just have a blast. And there's great joy, it says, and their joy was very great, as the scripture here says. And what a beautiful time and a beautiful place to participate in a great festival of God. And as I said, I try to put myself in their, in their shoes and, and what they're excited about and what they're wrestling with and the emotions that are happening there at this point in time, is that God used this opportunity for them to build this wall, this great foundation around them. But the greatest part was to... Am I doing that? I'm not... There's... We got the strobe light action going on here. I will not dance if that's what you're wondering, okay? No way, okay. We're so far so good. Here we go. All right, we'll continue on. And and if it happens again, we'll just roll with it, okay? Here we go. 
And uh, so these people had, God had used them building this great wall and the turmoil that happened in all of that to create a great spiritual revival, a time of renewal, a time of reform, and a time of recommitment, and uh, giving their hearts back to God. And I wonder, what types of things did they learn in this? I'm I'm sure they learned that uh, they need to not take advantage of each other, that if they work together, they can accomplish some pretty amazing things. You know, they learned some phenomenal things in there. And I just can't help but think what great things can happen or what great things we can learn from this time as well. Something I was, I was really, uh, that yesterday, I don't know how many of you watched the, the launch yesterday, okay? Some of you watched the launch. There's something I realized here in the last while is that uh, the space shuttle uh, was supposed to be one of those things that lasted for a long time. They wore out faster than anticipated. Uh, two space shuttles were lost, one on, on, uh, on, on exit and one on entry. And for the last nine years, every time a U.S. astronaut went to space, you know how they got there? For the last nine years is because we paid the Russians to go up on the Russian rockets. So every U.S. astronaut that has gone up in the last nine years has gone up on a Russian, uh, a Russian rocket. And so... There is. Uh, it was really neat yesterday to see, and if you, if you noticed, if you grew up watching the space shuttle or watching even further back, the technology on this machine was very, very different than anything we've seen before. And those astronauts going up, this was a different beast. And, um, and those guys went up yesterday, and uh, they said, I think what they called it is a smooth ride <laughs> going up there. But what was really neat is just watching it is... I grew up as a kid watching these launches of, of astronauts going into space and watching the joy and the excitement of some accomplishments that's happened as big changes happen. And so I think about for us is, is here's some things that I pick up from here, from this, uh, this particular lesson here, is we're, our world's been rocked in some, in some way over the last while. And I think most of us could say, well, that hasn't gone as bad as it could have. Uh, but uh, so far... So good in, in Montana, we're we're walking through this and we're and we're all right. But we've hopefully this is a time that teaches us to listen to the words of God in ways that we never have before. To spend time at home, to spend time when we're here, listening to the word of God and allowing it to touch our hearts like maybe we've never allowed it to before. And that's a choice. Every one of us gets to make that choice if that's who we're going to be. We get to. Um, as Hebrews 4 talks about, the, the Word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts into us. Just like a surgeon's scalpel goes into us to cut that cancer out of us, God's Word goes into us to cut all of the bad stuff out of us and to, to heal us. And it's painful and it hurts at times, but it's good. And learning to listen to the words of God and then respond and saying, all right, I understand that uh, this hurts, but God's Word is designed to ultimately bring me to a place of joy. Last uh, Wednesday night I taught on, on Psalm 19. And Psalm 19 talks about how we see God in nature. I'm going to read a few verses of it from verses 7 through 9. Now, think about this. The teachings of God, sometimes we approach the teachings of God saying, oh, that's boring, oh, that's just God telling me what I can't do this, can't do that. But listen to this, and you tell me if we should see this as boring, as something that God's just trying to rein in our parade here. Psalm 19, starting in verse 7. 
The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. You know, David had the understanding is that when we get into God's Word, what it does is, is it's painful, it hurts, but it brings great joy to us. It should, if we're, we're willing to allow God's, work, God's Word to do its, its work in us, which leads to great celebration as a community, as individuals, because we understand the good that God is doing among us. I sat down this week and just did some brainstorming on some things that... Uh, and uh, we've, we've got some celebration coming, don't we? As we continue to move forward this summer and, and meeting together, we've got some celebrating to do, don't we? Boy, I sure think so. <laughs> I think, I'm, I'm thinking cookouts, I'm thinking stuff like that. We've got some celebrating to do as we, as we go along into this summer. We'll get there. But I started, I thought about, and I spent some time thinking about what are some things maybe that we have learned in this quarantine, just as the, the Israelites learned something rebuilding the wall and had a great joy and celebration because of it. What have we learned? I believe, and there's, this is not an exhaustive list, and your list may have some different things, and I'm sure it does, but this, uh, maybe some of the things we've learned are these things. Hope all of us have learned to, and are continuing to learn to rely on God maybe more than we have ever before. The last time some sort of quarantine happened in our country was in 1918 when the Spanish flu hit. In fact, I walked through after this quarantine started. I, I was over at Virginia City, and I walked through the, uh, the cemetery there. You know how often I saw 1918, 1919, 1918, 1919 there? A lot in that, in that cemetery. And people quarantined and, and for a lot longer time than we're probably going to have to. But you know what happened in the 20s afterwards? There was some, some excess that happened, the roaring 20s, and some, some morals just went crazy and that sort of thing. But there's great spiritual revival that happened afterwards. People started thinking about spiritual things, and, um, and, it, and it made a difference. And you see some transformation that happens in the lives of people during that time because that taught them to rely on God, and maybe it's doing the same for us. I hope it's doing the same for us. It's teaching us that maybe we can change a lot more than we realize. Uh, I think um, if we would have just, without the quarantine, if we would have just said, hey, let's change the time that we meet as an assembly, or let's change this or that, as people, we tend to not change very well, and we struggle with that. But you know what happened? We changed going online for a while, and then changed our, our assembly time here, and you know what? We survived it, didn't we? And it wasn't that bad. And we've learned that we can change. We've learned that we can use it in ways that we didn't know or understand. And I can't tell you how many times that I've walked around our community and, and someone has said, Chris, thank you for doing those online. I've been listening to those and I really appreciate those. People that have never set foot in the church building here before are listening to what's happening here. And, and God's Word gets out there. That's good. We've got to rejoice in that and be excited about that. We've learned that, that we can change, maybe more than we anticipated on those things. We've learned that, um, that we can bear with one another in love and, and be in really different spots. 
And um, I'll share this. I'll throw it out here. And this comes through through some uh, messages or, or things that I've seen posted on Facebook or, or conversations that I've had with people. Within the church here, we have some of us that span probably the spectrum of whether this was an overreaction or not and, and what this quarantine is all about. We're all over the map. And uh, I think five years from now, we'll have a probably a lot better picture of, of whether it was or wasn't or whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know. But what I've seen from the church here is we've had something happen in our society that our response has, has emotionally, intellectually, whatever, been all over the map. But what I've seen from you is being able to say, well, I don't know all the answers to that, but I'm excited to come and to worship the things that are most important with my brothers and sisters here in Christ. We've had a, something that, uh, that can divide us, can take us down different roads, and that has not happened among us. We, it's, it's something that has just caused uh, us to be able to draw together. We're, we've had the to, to exercise maybe more than ever, looking out for the needs of others. Those of us that don't have as much, we've we've been deliberate to try to take care of them. And bo- again, if if you're running short, then holler. There's a lot of freezers that are full here in the church. You will be taken care of. Uh, we're responsible. Maybe it's something all of us have learned or learning is that I am responsible more than anybody else for my own spiritual life. Uh, the tendency maybe is to outsource our spiritual well-being and growth to, to, to the minister or the elders. And hopefully we can aid in that, but it all comes down to you. It all comes down to me, as we have to make those decisions that, that I'm going to put God first. Uh, we've, uh, we've learned that we can survive outside of a church building. We just got deployed for a while, Right. And maybe we can be more deliberate about doing ministry and being God's people outside the church building than we ever have before in this. And that's something good to learn. And we can celebrate because God continues to take care of us and continues to do good. Amen? <laughs> that's the case. Is, is no matter what's happened so far, God continues to, do, to, to be good to us. And we can celebrate because of that. And I hope one day we're able to look back on this time and say, wow, this was a time... Just like the people of Nehemiah's day said, do you remember when we rebuilt the wall and the great stuff that happened after? Do you, do you remember that Feast of Tabernacles? There's never been a Feast of Tabernacles like that since. And it was great, but it changed my world because God rocked my world. And I pray that someday as we go forward, we can say, boy, that uh, COVID crisis, whatever it was, we'll know someday, we'll understand it more someday. But... What it did is it rocked my world, it rocked our world as a church, and enabled us and empowered us to do some great things as, as God continued to, to pave our way into the future. Good stuff to be excited about from the book of Nehemiah today. And if, if you're in a spot, and my guess is, and let me share this, just my guess, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but... When we go into to, to big crisis situations like we have with this quarantine, the hardest part isn't going into it. The hardest part is the long, drawn-out aspects of it as we go along because, you know, we're Montanans. We're going to survive anything. We've got beans in our basement. We've got, we've got MREs. We've got whatever. You know, I can um, shoot raccoons in my yard and live off those for a month. You know, whatever, you know, that kind of thing. But as time goes on, I don't know, has anybody done that? Hallbach, have you done that? No, not even Hallbach's done that, so nobody's done that here, right? That's right. 
<laughs> a porcupine in his backyard. Okay, close enough. All right, fine. He shot a porcupine in his backyard. Good enough. But going forward, there's going to be times, I'm sure, that we think, oh, man, was this ever going to get over? I feel my morale going down, all that kind of stuff. And those are the times that we just dig deeper and say, God is still God, and let's push on ahead and be excited about whatever the future may look like. If you'd like to become a Christian today, you're welcome to head to the back. We're going to go straight into our our, uh, our Lord's Supper. Uh, we have people that are joining us from home as well. And so, fellas, come on down. We'll go ahead and celebrate the Lord's Supper together this morning.